Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 3, where we explore all things sports coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Three excellent guests join me this week, so please could you introduce yourselves and tell us your current role. Uh, my name is Scott Manning. I am in Victoria, BC. I coach, I'm the head coach of a uh, senior men's club here called the Castaway Wonders in Victoria, and I also have worked with the Canada U18 program as an assistant coach for about the last five years, if you include this one, where we haven't done a lot of coaching. Hi guys, it's uh, Jamie Cudmore here, and uh, I'm also in Victoria. Um, I'm the head coach for uh, Rugby Canada's Development Academy, and then I also uh, do the forwards for the uh, national senior men's team. Um, like Scott, we haven't uh, been able to do much in the way of games this year, uh, but I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully a very busy uh, international season this summer. Uh, rounding up the group, uh, my name is Sean White, I'm the third one here from Victoria. I coach a local club uh, called James Bay Athletic Association. Um, I just joined on with the U18 uh, coaching with Scott. Um, leading up the, the back line, uh, and I also coach the provincial Kevin Aside team um, in British Columbia. Fantastic. Gents, absolute pleasure to have you all on board. Uh, really nice to catch up as well. So looking forward to this. Just a quick reminder to everyone listening to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to all the content we discuss and recommendations to other high-quality content. So, uh, Scott, we are going to come to you first. Uh, what is it you're going to talk to us about? Yeah, so um, I, I pretty regularly listen to uh, Brene Brown's uh, podcast. One of them is called Unlocking Us, another one, Dare to Lead. And I like to kind of go outside of the coaching realm for some of my professional development and see what I can pull into, into my coaching. A uh, particular podcast about a month ago had a guest named Priya Parker. She works in conflict resolution, but she's written a book called The Art of Gathering how we meet and why it matters. Uh, the podcast struck a bit of a chord with me as a coach because I was just immediately thinking about how as coaches, we are constantly gathering and, and just bringing together people. Um, but then kind of thinking about, are we always doing that well and, and what I can learn from this. So uh, in the book, Priya states, uh, a gathering is the continuous bringing together of people for a reason shaping the way we feel, the way we think, and the way we make sense of the world. Uh, she argues that we tend to keep gathering in the same tired ways, following the same patterns, and hoping that these thrilling results will magically appear. And it just that jumped out at me. It's, you know, does coaching sound like that sometimes and, and some of the things that we do in our trainings? Um, it's the, she says the little design choices that you make in your gathering, and, and then I'll, I'll put in training, tours, camps, academies, it's the little details that go into those that make them soar. Uh, kind of pulled out four, I think four key takeaways that I had from it. The, the whole book starts out around the premise of committing to a clear purpose um, is the first step to starting any gathering. And, and then again, I'll put in training 
anything that we would do as, as coaches. She argues the first thing you need to do is commit to a bold, sharp purpose. And, and one of the things in there that she talks about is that we often confuse uh, a category for a purpose. So saying something like a birthday party is the purpose or in our world, a training is the purpose. Uh, and she's talking about going deeper than that. What, it, what is, what is a, a deeper purpose for why you're actually bringing those people together? In the case of a birthday, it might be to reflect on the year and share stories with the people that have, have been involved. And, and then I kind of want to come back to this question later, but how can we create that deeper purpose for trainings that we're running and, and not just have to train or, or to improve, but to, to go deeper into that? Uh, when we don't examine kind of the deeper assumptions behind why we're, why we're gathering and we just skip into the same tired formats, uh, we kind of forego the possibilities that could, can make it more meaningful. Um, it, it's an interesting balance in here because I think sometimes as coaches, we really, we, we rely on routine and we want routine from, from our players and from our, our events and our gatherings because that's kind of what makes them tick. But she's arguing that routine is, is also getting the way, in the way of making whatever it is that you're doing meaningful and stand out. Uh, in our, in our rugby world, I often ask myself, just, are we doing this for a certain reason or are we just doing it because it's the way it's always been done? Um, then once you've set that bold purpose, every decision that you make about your events, again, training tour, your camp, your academy goes back to, is it serving that purpose? And if it's not serving the purpose that you've set, why are, are you doing it? So I think weddings would be a good example of this. People often just do things because it's that's the way the weddings go and it doesn't necessarily serve a purpose for whoever is gathering or, or throwing it and, and training would be no different. Um, are, we, are we coming up with what we really want to get out of it and then making sure that everything we put into it, are we just running fitness at the end of training because we need to fill 20 minutes? Um, your second point is kind of about who to include in your gathering. Um, and then being willing to exclude people. So she has kind of this statement that if you if you invite everyone, you actually invite no one because it's not really creating an environment that will serve that specific purpose. So are the people that you're inviting, are they are they helping to serve that purpose? Are they threatening it in some way? Are they irrelevant to it? Um, and if they're threatening it, you kind of need to re-examine why they, they might be involved. So this kind of in our, in our coaching world jumped out at me in the way of, are we including people because their parent is the one buying the kit for the team or uh, in our academy, is their dad offering to be the man manager of the academy, things like that. So I think often those types of things, while they might be important, are logistically, they, they get in the way of actually serving the purpose that we're, we're trying to achieve out of whatever it is we're doing. Um, the third thing, uh, this one, I think really, really is, uh, impactful for coaches is a good host or I'll insert coach acts with generous authority is the term she uses, uses all, all throughout the book. And she's saying that meaningful gatherings have their own sets of rules unique to that event. And the job of the host or the coach is to, um generously maintain those rules 
And it's for the purpose of protecting the purpose that you've set for the rest of the group. So the example uh, that I can think of in a rugby world is um, a guy showing up late for training. A really simple thing that um, being quote unquote, like a chill coach, you might just overlook, but it's actually affecting the purpose that you've set out for that training. And it's, it's kind of being an un, if you let it go and you let it slide, it's kind of being ungenerous to the rest of the team and the rest of the group who's there trying to accomplish something. Um, lastly, the, the fourth thing was about your, your training or sorry, your, uh, your gathering actually starts before you officially blow the whistle to start it in, in the case of a training. So what are you doing to prime your, your guests or your, your athletes and create an impactful starting point and set a tone for your training. So what are you doing to really signify uh, that it's time to get started? Or are you filling that transition time between when the people arrive at training to when it is time to actually get started in a way that still serves your purpose? Um, so are you doing anything ahead of time to, to prime people and send out notes so that they know what to expect when they actually arrive and, and what to do and what's acceptable when they get there? Um, and then what are you doing at the start of the training to maybe set that purpose or set that intention? Um, some examples I've, I've seen, uh, with Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks, I think they have kind of like a tap in thing where they'll hit a sign when they go into the field, um, might also become kind of routine after a while and, and doesn't have meaning. Uh, a coach here, uh, in Canada on the East coast, Jack Hanready, I was talking to him a little while ago about his trainings and how they always have music going, um, at the start of the session, the, the SNC coach will blow the whistle and music will be playing and it'll signify that there's 10 minutes for uh, the girls in his academy to be doing individuals, but it's a really light, fun atmosphere for that first 10 minutes with music going. And then after the 10 minutes, the SNC coach will stop the music. The girls know that's time to meet in the center, circle up, and then they're going to set an intention for that training and what they're wanting to do. So um, those are kind of the four things that I, I took out of the book that I thought could really be applicable to the, the coaching realm and, and uh, made me think about how could I maybe do a better job of, of setting a, a deeper, clearer purpose and then tailor things around that into the future. Fantastic, Scott. I love that. There's, there's, there's loads of quality in there. Um, I guess my first question is around, as you, as you mentioned, the kind of the purpose, like why do you think as coaches we maybe struggle to, to really set that purpose outside of winning or just turning up or whatever that might be. Like obviously some of the best environments, I think get that absolutely nailed. Um, but, but in the, in the general realm, it would see that we, we still get a little bit obsessed with an outcome on a Saturday or a Wednesday or whatever is in, you know, whenever you're playing. So why, why do you think that's a struggle and kind of what's your experience of that? I think the, I think the routine when it comes to, especially when you're with a team that you're training week in, week out, um, I think sometimes we maybe think we're setting a purpose and that purpose might be, like you said, winning on the weekend, or it might just be getting better, or we're just here to improve, or we're here to act professionally. I think we, we hear those things thrown out all the time, but I think the idea with this is you need to like, just keep asking the question of go deeper. Okay. So why are we actually meeting on this specific Tuesday and what are we trying to accomplish out of bringing 
this specific group together on this specific Tuesday that is going to serve something for us as a group. So when you kind of put it that way, it's okay, well, we need, we have a need that we need to fulfill and we need to see if we can address that need within this training. And, and we will set our purpose around that. But I think often, I think we get caught in like the category is the purpose idea. And it's just, well, we're here to train. We're here to get better. And that's our purpose. And it's, the book would argue that that's not really going deep enough. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Just dig a little bit deeper. That sounds good. How open question to all of you, how much of the environment do we think is shaped by the coach or the players? Like if we were going to do a, a percentage split, maybe where, where do we think that comes down? Because the coach is a pretty influential person, but there's, I think there's, you can go too far one way, you can go too far the other way. I'm just wondering where, where do you guys see your impact in, in how you shape that environment? Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I think that um, personally, it kind of depends on how long you've been with that program. Um, perhaps at the beginning, the coach might have to lead a little bit more, try to pull more out of the player. But once you kind of get the, that internal communication from the group and you have leader um, start kind of repeating or relaying the message of what the coach might have in mind, um, not only is it more effective coming from a peer um, but once you create that environment, I think it can really begin to snowball more and more. I, I just think that in, in any environment, the, I, I think to kind of jump on what Whitey was saying there, that early in any environment, the leader is going to be the one that sets those rules, that sets what is, what is acceptable. Um, you might be doing, doing that with a leadership group, but I would say the leader the coach or the leadership group is kind of setting those rules. And, and then anything that you're letting slide is then becoming acceptable in that scenario. So I think like, like what he said, if you're jumping on that stuff early on as, as a coach and a leader, and you're being clear on what those rules and values are, then over time, more people will start to be that generous authority figure and, and, and help you police it a little bit more because they understand what the, what the rules for that specific environment are. Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, with Sean and Scott um, around that. You know, I think uh, at the beginning, um, most coaches need to set out a framework uh, or kind of maybe a blueprint uh, to to work off of, uh, just in terms of those you know those non negotiables. You know, whether it be timing, whether it be showing up at a certain hour or a certain place, always ready to go. Um, you know. I like the uh, the analogy with um, with Jack out east, where you know when the, when it, when the music stops, everybody knows it's time to kind of switch on. Um, and you know, if you, I think as a coach, if you set those ground rules clearly, um, and you include certain parts, those certain leaders in your group, um, then through time, um, you know, you need to make adjustments here and there. But I think through time, you'll definitely have a group that almost, you know, runs itself. You know, you, you empower leaders, you empower people in the group um, to, you know, like, like Sean said, uh, you know, they, they police themselves. Um, and, um, you know, I think if I speak of a, a personal uh, um, experience here with the Pride, um, I think we're very fortunate in that we have um, some pretty strong leaders with uh, a great level of integrity, which um, 
which does just that. They police themselves. And if things are not done right, you know, they'll, they'll push themselves to go clean up after training or, you know, make amends or, you know, put their hand up when they screwed up. And, uh, you know, I think if you can build an environment like that, it's, uh, it's very, very healthy. How long would you guys wait before you think about moving someone out of that environment if they don't abide by the rules necessarily, or they don't, they don't kind of, you know, end up buying in. And I appreciate there's a, there's a contextual nature around the environments you guys are in, some are performance, some are community, you know, what, what, yeah, what's kind of, what's the, I appreciate there probably isn't a hard and fast rule, but at what point are you going, yeah, maybe this person isn't right for our environment. Then now I've tried to work with them. I've tried to make them better, et cetera, et cetera. Have, have you, you know, got experiences of that or have you thought about at what point that might become a, yeah, I need to, I need to draw a line in the sand here. Can I take that one guys? And the, the, the reason I'll take it, take it because this is fresh in my mind um, in that we've uh, just had uh, our end of year reviews here with the Academy. Um, and uh, I've, uh, you know, you get to the end of the year and, um, you know, in a high performance Academy at certain times, there's, there's some that just, uh, just can't cut the mustard. You know, they're not going to be able to continue on. And I've had a few conversations with guys uh, around that. But then within that, I've had guys who have done some some things which, you know, shed a bad light on the uh, on the academy and, uh, you know, put themselves in pretty precarious positions. Um, and I like I like to, you know, I'm not going to throw guys, you know, out with the bathwater because I think, you know, guys in academy roles and and, you know, young guys, they they need they need second chances, um, but they need to understand that, you know, certain transgressions you know, you're gone. Um, but for the majority of things, you know, a good, a good stern talking to, um, some, you know, some form of, you know, punishment within the group, um, and, you know, making sure that it's, it's open and everybody understands why it's happening. Um, and that, you know, the, the fact whether that, that player is either gone or whether that player is getting a second chance, uh, that it's, that it's open and that everybody understands why and what has happened. And, um, you know, you, you try to try to kind of navigate that as, as best you can. But, um, you know, for certain things, they're gone. But for other things, you know, young boys being young boys, uh, we've all been there. You know, we've got to sometimes you got to give them a bit of leeway. Yeah, I wish I didn't know what uh, you were talking about from the other side, having gone through that uh, Rugby Canada cycle and player and well um, and made my mistakes and been given second chance. So, um, I definitely can relate to what you're saying there, Jamie, and, and kind of relating that to the community game or the perhaps more amateur recreational game. Uh, in terms of benefit to to not having to let players go, you know, you can you can start to maybe build those relationships a little more. Um, you have the luxury to kind of invest a little more time perhaps without having to meet certain performance goals. Um, we have the benefit of having a couple uh, divisions of, of uh, quality, right? Whether it's premier or first division or even third division where players are just kind of showing up on the weekend. Uh, there might be an easier way to kind of fit them into a team with whatever kind of commitment level they have. Um, but like you mentioned, it's the transparency in it all, you know, it's not making that player wonder where they fit in or what they're doing wrong, right. It's being forthright and having those honest conversations with them that 
that might be tough to have even at the recreational level you know player if you're competitive no matter no matter where they fit on that on that um sliding scale um but yeah i think it's just having um having the ability to connect with player and 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 chat with them open and honestly um so that they're not leaving training wondering where they fit in or what they could do um to move up I find the group involvement a really interesting one, certainly at community level there in terms of actually are are they recognising somebody probably doesn't fit? And, and I would definitely say for years I was in that place of a community club has to be for everybody. Like you've got to be inclusive in terms of anybody is welcome and, and you've just got to work around the, the the difficult people or the people that maybe don't um, don't fit or whatever. But actually, I, I think that changed. I just had an experience where a guy was was just so different he made everything so much hard work for so many people and it was just how how many times can you have the same conversation and, and maybe that was my failing as a coach and as a club and as a leadership group that we just couldn't find a way to improve or manage that individual but at the end of the, it just got to that stage where you kind of go in I, I just don't think this is a good environment for you it's it's not bringing out the best in you and and that's our failing for sure but I also think they probably needed to take some responsibility around not being willing to change their own behavior. And then we just said, look, you know, I think you might be more successful in another place. And that was a, that was a real seminal moment for me as a coach. I'm kind of going, Oh shit. Like maybe this isn't for everybody. Maybe if we, if, if, you know, the other 98% want to want to achieve and and do well and, you know, fit their purpose and do all these things. And it, it wasn't just about performance goals, but this, this individual is just so disruptive. You go, and how long can we just keep having this fight and actually just saying, you know, no, I, I don't, we're not willing to do this anymore was I found really difficult, but it was also a huge relief because the environment did become not not just easier, but just, just more settled, just less stuff going on after we'd moved that person on. So yeah, I always think it's, it's interesting in any environment. At what point do you, do you make that decision or is the decision made for you to, to make that change really? um we'll leave that one there great thank you very much scott really really enjoyed that uh jamie we will come across to you what is it you're going to chat to us about yes so um as we spoke earlier about um you know my my kind of transition from playing into coaching was uh was quite brutal and uh and and very quick i went from you know playing uh, for a long period of time and then into uh coaching at a at a very high level where I did have experience coaching, um, but definitely not at that level. Um, and, you know, having to learn on the job is, uh, is a pretty stressful thing. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I work very hard. Um, and, you know, I was now working in a domain where I was a lot of times I was very uncomfortable. Uh, I was in a different language. Um, I was unfortunately working with people that were, you know, less than, um, you know, had a, pretty low level of integrity. Um, so on top of trying to learn my craft um, in a new language or not a new language, but in another country with, you know, a pretty toxic environment um, was, uh, was uh, challenging to say the least. Um, and, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about obviously my wife at, at home and uh, she said, well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, are the guys that you're working with, your, your, your players, do they appreciate what you're doing? And I said, well, you know, I, I, I think so. And she said, well, have you asked them? I said, well, you know, you know what? You're right. I, I, I hadn't. 
I hadn't asked them. I hadn't talked enough to my players. I was more, I was very dictative. Um, and she, um, she offered me this book, Emotional Intelligence by, uh, by Daniel Coleman. And I've kind of gone back and forth to it over the, over the years. And, um, you know, a few of um, some mentors and some, some coaches, coaches that had helped me uh, through that period and, and still help me to these, this day um, said, you know, that that's the biggest tool that you need in your toolbox is that emotional intelligence as to, you know, when to question yourself, when to question others, uh, how to question, um, how to create, you know, good relationships with the people that you work with and not kind of be really a bull in a china shop, which is what I kind of was as a player, you know. Um, and it was a difficult transition to find that balance where, you know, at the beginning, okay, you're no longer a player and realize that you're now at the bottom of the ladder and you've got to work your way up and, you know, you can't do it on your own. You need to work with the staff that you work with, you need to work with the players that you work with, and you need to find that happy medium where, um, you know, through my self-confidence and my integrity, I can kind of take a step back and start asking more of others and start trying to find connections and create better relationships so that, you know, we can work uh, better together. Um, you know, I, I didn't understand so much about the way different people learn um, and that was that was a big learning for me and trying to pass messaging uh, messages to people in high stress situations or at trainings and, you know, trying to adapt that the best way I could um, to, you know, the different people in my in my in my team. Um, and it was um, it was it was eye opening. And, it, and, it, and it's great now because, like I said, I'm at the bottom of the ladder. I've maybe gotten one or two rungs up, but there's still probably about 500 more ahead of me. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the process of, of learning, of questioning, of, you know, trying to, trying to get better in this, uh, in this realm where I am, I am, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, but, you know, in terms of everything I do, it's, it's, it's only what, it's, uh, it's only about six years now. So, um, it's still, uh, still, I'm very much, uh, in, it's in its infancy. I love that. Thanks, Jamie. How this this is actually going to end up being my uh, my master's dissertation topic. So I could I could probably nause you off for a very long time around this, but I'll try I'll try and keep it brief and to the point. What what do you think would have helped you? Um, maybe one or two or three things to to kind of speed up that transition potentially, or to to prepare you better for that transition. And I appreciate there's a challenge in not knowing potentially as a as a pro you're you're definitely going to go in and coach but suddenly that that kind of that moment happens what in in hindsight what do you think could have helped you along that way a little bit more effectively um well i think what really would have helped me would have been a um an experienced coaching staff around me that um helped me and you know shared their their experiences um, you know, I was I was in with a with an Irish coach, uh, Mike Prendergast, who's up at Racing Metro now, and we had a great relationship. We worked very very well together, um, and we you know we we bounced ideas off each other. We talked about you know different way, types of play and coaching and styles and all the rest. But but I had a director of rugby who was you know he's very divisive. He had everybody in in silos. 
Um, and then, you know, I go to the, the next role that I was in where I had a very supportive coaching staff where, you know, we look to better ourselves. We look to challenge ourselves. We reviewed every training when we were done where that wasn't the case in my role um, precedent. So, you know, I think um, if I had, I had, um, you know, better support around me that, you know, challenged me and I challenged them and we questioned each other and, you know, worked obviously in, in unison towards a, a common goal, that would have been, uh, that would have been a lot easier. Um, and, and I think I should have lent on, you know, my, my coaching kind of mentors and, and, you know, help helpers, um, a lot more, uh, I should have re reached out and asked for a lot more help at the beginning, especially when I was like, I was barely staying above water. Um, cause obviously you've got like, you know, you've got pres presidents, co uh, presidents giving you pressure. You've got, you know, directors of rugby giving you pressure. There's obviously the money and TV and everything kind of creates this perfect storm of, uh, you know, a very high pressure environment, which, you know, I, I can live within, but when you're a coach and you're a young coach, um, you know, trying to deal with those different pressures can be, uh, can be very taxing. Um, and, um, you know, hence why I go back to that book. It really, really helped me. And um, talking with uh, old coach of mine and, uh, and an old coach of his coach or uh, old coach's coach. I'm sure you guys have heard of Dave Hadfield, who, um, is uh, a guy who I, I reach out to time at time after time, and uh, and is uh, is a great guy. Really questions you well, questions uh, asks hard questions, uh, and makes you think about things in a in a different mindset. Um, and it's uh, it's really beneficial. Do you think anyone appreciated the challenge that you were facing? And, and again, you know, a kind of open question, I guess, to the group in terms of the everyone tends to be an ex-player at some point, whether it's professional or, or, or amateur player, but moves into coaching. Do you think when you've made that transition, the people in those environments are understanding enough of the challenge of, you know, moving from player to coach or were they just expecting you to, to operate in a way that the other, the other experienced coaches were operating? Um, well, I, I think they expected, they expected brilliance right off the bat because, you know, nobody asked me, you know, if everything's going well, how, how do you think this is doing? You know, they, they, I think I expected it as well. So maybe, you know, I'll take a lot of that on me because, you know, I, I played at a high level and I expected to be able to coach at a high level. But as I said, you know, you're at the bottom of the ladder. You can't do what you did on the field as a coach right away, you know, you need to learn those tools and you need to be able to build up your, your toolbox so that you, uh, you can kind of navigate those, those highs and lows. Um, and, uh, it would have been nice. Um, but you know, as I said, it's, uh, some, some club, well, a lot of clubs, unfortunately, France right now have uh, pretty, pretty toxic environments and, um, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult, uh, landscape to navigate. Yeah, I'll kind of echo what, what Jamie mentioned there, like a, a player retiring and then going into coaching. Um, from, my, from my experience, the players kind of think, well, you just retired, you're playing at a high level, surely you know what you're talking about to a degree. You know, and it, I guess the longer I've coached now, the further I've become separated from Sean the player and Sean the coach, um, where now you really do need to know what you're talking about, you know, and and the game of rugby changes so quickly, almost year to year. You know, every time you're watching a super rugby game, 
their new strategy of defense and attack. And then you watch uh, the European clubs play and there's more kicking. And, you know, if, if you're not staying up to, to code and staying up to date with, with the changes that are happening, um, I just feel like you're going to be left behind, you know, and, and it's no longer good enough just to be that retired player because um, you're far enough away from that, that now you're the, you're the, you're the coach, right? You don't have that identity anymore. Um, or at least the identity you might've had when you, when you first made that change. I was, um, it's interesting because I've very much taken a, a different path than, than both of these two guys. Although I did grow up playing with Whitey, I didn't, I didn't kick on as a, to the, to the levels that he did as a, a player. So I got in uh, due to injuries a little bit, I got into coaching relatively early and um, I do find it now with examples like like coaching on the the Canada U18 team when I when I can work with someone like Whitey and you can pair being someone who's I guess like I've grown up in the teaching world I'm a teacher by trade and when you pair that with someone who comes with that high level experience um, and and you can work together I think it's the, the best combination I think I learned so much from the experience that those guys have at the highest of levels uh, given the finer details. And then I think it's a give and take with uh, learning how to, how to plan out and, and think about delivery and how you're actually teaching and, and passing that information along. But uh, with regards to, to Jamie's stuff about the, the um, relationship building with your players, I, I just think back to being someone who, who didn't come in with that um, credibility of being the, the high level player very, very quickly, kind of in my coaching journey, I started coaching players that were playing at or had played at a much higher level than, than I had played at. Um, although I was kind of the same age as them and it just, that's just how it worked out. So I think one of the things I, I dealt with quite early on with almost every single coaching job that I would get is just that a bit of that imposter syndrome where you're like, can I really coach at this level are these guys going to listen to me is is this going to work out and i think just to kind of go back to that emotional and intelligence stuff i the the biggest impact for me and kind of the biggest light bulbs were just in showing that vulnerability and actually being open with that and and kind of being really clear that i don't have all the answers and and my job is to try to figure it out or or try to reach out to people who do or learn and and I think that's what I have from my teaching background is being able to learn things quickly and, and synthesize that information. But, but I think to build relationships for me, at least it's, it's showing vulnerability yourself and not coming in maybe as Jamie kind of spoke, spoke to a little bit of being that alpha dog right off the bat can really turn people off to that and get in the way of, of building those relationships early on. You guys think there's a work grind to, to from, my perspective, I think, and it's, I guess, relatively well known that as an ex-pro, you have a lot of capital, like you have a lot of respect in the game. People know who you are. People respect the fact that you've delivered what you're now, you know, in, in large part trying to coach or working in an environment to do. Do you think there's a work around that? If you don't have that capital, what, what is it as a coach you can do to kind of overcome that, as you say? And, and this kind of works in a number of ways that 
you know, coaching players that are older than you, even in a community environment, you don't have to be a an ex-pro, but you come in and suddenly you're you're dealing with people that you say have played a higher level or are older or have more experience. So actually what what from your guys' experience would you say is is top tips for anybody that might be kind of struggling with that to go, this is this is how I can overcome it, get around it, manage it? Well, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I can't really speak on that in terms of experience, but my thought would be that, and, and it helps me as well, even though I have gone through a different path, but and just having the confidence in what your message is. Um, I had a coach mentor say that you can't, you can't teach anything that you truly don't know. You know? So having that really in-depth knowledge on what you're trying to portray, um, goes a long way, right? There's nothing worse than a, than a player maybe questioning the, the process or maybe something you're trying to do uh, and you kind of take a step back and go, oh, I, I never thought of it that way or um, or you kind of waffle a little bit and then what your, uh, your outcome goal might be. Um, but yeah, just having confidence and, and really relying on your, your coaching philosophy or uh, your methodology and your pedagogy and and all those things along the way that got you to that point you know you're you're I, I don't doubt that you're there for a reason but just truly believe in that reason and, and kind of put that forward yeah being being someone who's kind of gone through that a, a little bit to an extent is yeah i would echo that like, don't fake it like you you'll get found out so quickly if you're trying to fake it like if i were to try to teach someone how to scrum being someone who's never been in there, I'm going to get figured out pretty quickly. Even doesn't matter what level I'm, I'm coaching at. Um, and then, and then for me, the, the other piece to that is just demonstrating and showing to the people that you're, that you're coaching, that you're, that you're leading, how hard you're working. And so like some way, if you can, can show that, that how committed you are to learning that craft. Um, I think that really comes through and then people respect that as opposed to just, necessarily respecting like where you came from or what you've done in the past they're respecting what they're actually seeing you do in the moment yeah i definitely agree with all those points and um you know i think it comes down a lot to you know how you present yourself you know in terms of self-confidence and communication um show that you're prepared um and you know and and you, you talk you talk about what you know and not what you don't know and if you have that vulnerability to say, you know, like Sean said, maybe you waffle and you say, oh, well, I actually don't know. You know, people are going to um, respect that a lot more. Um, so if you communicate well and you're vulnerable enough to, you know, accept criticism or maybe look at things a different way, um, but you have a clear plan of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and you communicate that properly, I think you're going to garner respect in your group because they see that you're trying to get them to, you know, the goal, which hopefully they all have a similar goal or the same goal. So, um, you know, just, just being that open book, um, you know, carrying yourself, um, being communicating properly, um, having a clear plan or, um, you know, a plan of action to get to uh, uh, a common goal. Um, and I think, you know, using all all the all the three of ours little little pieces and grabbing a bit of everything and uh and just uh and and driving forward because um you know at the end of the day you you are a leader as a coach and you need to uh communicate that and uh and make sure that 
your players adhere to what you guys, the common goal you're trying to get to. Um, and, uh, and you're, you know, you're, you're trying to help get them to that. So by all means, uh, get on board and let's go forward. As you say, do you think that comes back to that purpose? If, if, if you've set the tone and I, I wonder if this is the, the challenge initially for that player transitioning out or into being a coach, actually, can you, can you set out your stool? Can you create that purpose? Can you create that environment? Can you create the tone and all those things? If, if you're trying to discover that yourself at the same time as kind of present that to a group, because I'm thinking just from my experience, I've definitely done that where I've kind of gone, ah, oh, you know, this is, this is where I think we need to be. And I've not, I've not had that discussion with anybody. Like it's just, it's just in my own head. And then you're trying to kind of sell a message to 30 or 40 players at, at whatever level it might be. And everyone's kind of gone, mm, you know, that's brand new to us. Whereas now I definitely think I'd be in a different boat and go, right, I'm going to, I'm going to sow some seeds. I'm going to speak to lots of people and, and formulate an idea that is, a collaboration, I guess, rather than just that I, I'm now the head coach or I'm the the lead coach or whatever it might be, and I'm 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 taking us on this journey, whereas everyone else is still ten steps behind. Um, because I, I do think you've got to be ahead of the group in terms of that vision and everything else, but actually how how close they are to you in in delivering that, and as you say, at some point then driving it themselves. But I, I wonder if that's the that's the bit at the start. Can it be? Is that the piece you have to overcome? there's a lot of value in that um jamie kind of mentioned uh vulnerability um and i think that's a huge part of of coaching and and having that genuine self-reflection you know whether it's going over game tape or your notes after training um and being able to recognize that yeah you know what we that drill went on too long or i didn't give enough pointer or i gave too much pointer or i talked too much or however it worked right um in order that you can correct it no different than a player um I kind of had the unique situation of my first head coaching job uh, being for a team that I played for about eight months previous. Um, so at that point, every player on the team for the most part, uh, called me a peer for the most part, you know, I was a teammate before I went to coach. Um, and I remember the first uh, huddle we had before training. I just, I was honest. I went, you know what, I'm going to make mistakes and we're going to play a new brand of rugby that we didn't play last year. And, and we're going to kind of go through the, the hurdles together. And through that, you're going to tell me when I'm wrong and I'm going to tell you when you're wrong. And, and we're just going to grow the program in that kind of vulnerable, honest um, communication. And I think it was, I think it's paying off now. And I think it'll be something that I continue to, um, or how I continue to coach going forward. I think, I think one thing that, that, People, coaches that take the, the path that I guess that I took more a, a little bit is not coming from the professional elite player level is <laughs> that we get the we get the benefit of making our mistakes at a level that isn't as that doesn't have the stakes. So like uh, Jamie, just thinking back to your your story, you're thrust into an environment where you're coaching a, a pro team in France immediately your first coaching job. Whitey, you're coaching a premier men's team. Out here, I got to make my mistakes coaching high school rugby in, in Edmonton and then working up to a, a senior women's club team and then working up to another high school team and then uh, eventually rep teams and, and then the premier team out here. But I got to make all a lot of the mistakes that are common to early coaches 
at, at a little bit of a, a lower stakes level. And, and I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to be just thrust into a, a pro level with, with not really coaching experience, but tons of experience, but not the, the experience of leading that team and, and driving the ship. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to have a lot, a lot of experience before that, but it was definitely not at the same level, like you say. Um, you know, I did a lot of cadets and espoirs in the, in the years previously. Um, but, you know, like you said, Scott, you're, you're in a pretty protected environment. You know, you're, you're out of high school or you're in an academy team or, or something like that. But when you do get thrust to kind of the top, um, you're, uh, it's like, it's like anything you're on a tightrope, you know, it's, uh, you gotta be very careful as to, you know, what you do and those relationships you build. And, and at the end of the day, you're judged, you're judged every Saturday night or every Friday night on, you know, your week's work and nobody knows how much hours you went in, put in and nobody knows that you were there on video, you know, going through stuff, you know, Saturday night till about, you know, three, four in the morning, going through the whole game and, trying to devise things for the following week. But, um, you know, that's, that's part and parcel of it. You know, you, you go through the different, uh, different steps and, uh, and you garner experience. And, um, and I think the, the original point you said, Phil, about, you know, having a team, um, I think it's really important that you include, um, you know, as, as many people as you can in creating that plan uh, moving forward. Because like you said, if you, if you kind of just show up and you present, this is how we're going to do it. Um, I think you get a lot of pushback. Um, you've got to have people on board. And like you said, you got to sow those seeds. Um, and, you know, you've got to make people understand, you know, why you're doing that and, you know, the how, the why, and, uh, and get everybody involved. And, uh, and then, you, you know, you can, you're all pulling in the same direction. And uh, it makes uh, things, in my opinion, a lot easier uh, moving forward. Fantastic. Guys, again, another really, really strong discussion. Thank you. Um, I think, again, we'll, we'll park that one. And uh, Sean, we will come to you. What is it you're going to chat to us about? Uh, yeah, so I don't have necessarily one uh, book or uh, piece of material that I wanted to cover, but it was after, after I retired from the national program, I mentioned I had that uh, eight or nine month break between uh, retiring from club and then coaching club. Uh, and I chose to go back to school and oddly enough, Scott, it was to, uh, to get into conflict, drink pollution and, and mediation. Um, I found that those, uh, I found when I retired, I kind of thought, well, what, what does team sport really offer? You know, what are, what characteristics of team sport do I want to continue to work in, uh, as a career? And that's what I came up on. Um, and it was a course this year that I took actually, on intercultural communication um, that really, uh, really hit home for me. And it really, there's a major mesh point um, between um, going over course material on how to communicate interculturally in terms of international culture, um, and then kind of breaking that further down into, well, what is culture? You know, we can look at it as um, race or, or even kind of break it off into religion. Um, but really, it's just an agreed kind of norm or values that, are, that a group of people adhere to. Um, and when you think about rugby, I would think most teams have a, a, a kind of core values that they operate from. Um, 
when I first took over James Bay with, with the other coach, Tony Healy and I, uh, Tony led a really, um, a really positive goal setting uh, and value um, discussion really. And we came up with family, family integrity and accountability. And, and those were things that from a macro point of view, whether things are going really good or really poor, it, it's our grounding point, you know, it's things we can always come back to. Um, but then you dive into the micro and you go, okay, well, what does family mean to each player? You know, what does integrity mean to each person? Um, and as a coach, I think it's our responsibility um, and it kind of very difficult, but I think it's our duty and responsibility to kind of find out from each player what that means to them, you know, and start building those interpersonal connections um, and finding out what what that what drives them, you know, um, from whether it's their day job or their family life or or what they want to do after rugby, you know, and especially in the community game, players I find are are playing uh, an outlet, you know, maybe it's to get away from work early or maybe it's to you know take a break from the crying baby or whatever it is, right? People try to you could actually escape for an hour and a half to train and go to the club and have a beer. Um, but I guess just finding that individual and how they fit into your, your larger team culture fit. Um, and even Scott, when you talk about the, that Brene, uh, Brene Brown book on gathering, right? When I hear that, I think of uh, a gathering and a routine or uh, uh, an environment, right? So how can we create this environment um, that in, productive for maybe the the player who Jamie coaches with the pride who's coming back um, to to train at the club level for a week while the team's traveling right how do they connect with the player who's showing up on Tuesday and wants to have a beer after in the change room you know what what where do they and they have to have common ground you have to find that common ground to make it all work but I guess that's the challenge from the coaching point of view uh, and what the course uh, on intercultural communication taught me is that you can you can whittle things down to find that common that commonality um and whether it's trying to find that commonality um with coming of asian descent or um with all of the with the black lives matter movement you know it, it's important to to have that unity and it's important to um be able to have those conversations that are productive and ones that aren't emotional and and do more damage and um there's a, there's a unique dynamic within a rugby team. And I'm sure there's unique dynamics within a lot of team sport, but um, the more people you talk to that have played different sports, the more you kind of feel it in rugby from, from my experience. And um, I guess the, the ability to find that and the ability to feel that uh, intangible feeling, right. And, and make it, and make it tangible in a way. I, I think that's a really great challenge you know, take the create, create an environment and things are tangible. And, and I definitely would have talked a lot about that with, with certain teams. I don't know how close I've actually got to doing that. I think some teams it, it maybe happens more naturally than others, but I'm interested, Sean, in how do you go, you know, that classic Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday environment, how do you go beyond it just being that culture meeting at the start of the season? Because I, I would see that a lot. Like, yeah, great. We, we've got our culture meeting and then we've set this stuff out for the rest of the season and then we probably aren't ever going to come back to it. So how how do you kind of build it beyond that that almost token gesture of 
we've done it at the start of pre-season and, and now we're done and we're just going to crack on. What does that look like for you? Well, with us, we just find more ways for people to engage into that, right? So if you're only using rugby training or the game to tap into family integrity and accountability, well, you might miss some people um, where perhaps, it, I mean, we offer, we offer video session um, Monday evening for players to come in and go over tape. So that's another way that they can tap into the integrity part. You're with all the guys, you're having a beer, you're there with the family, you know, um, there's the player group chat. So maybe you message the team saying you're going to show up and, and maybe you're not there. Um, so we can touch on the accountability, you know, it, are, are players who are injured, are they going to, are they going to go to get the treatment? You know, are they going to, are they going to take their time because work's more important? And, and it might be right. I mean, again, it's a community game. They might value, um, being able to work more than being able to show up on, on the weekend and, and, and run around for 80 minutes. Um, but it, what we do at James Bay anyway, and I'm sure it, it, we're not unique by any means, but we just try to provide more opportunity, perhaps outside of the game, uh, to be able to, to identify those values. Jamie, how does that look top end? you know, kind of senior Canadian international team. I appreciate with the pride is probably a little bit different that you, you is effectively a club team. You've got more time when you go into a training camp, like how is there just an expectation that you, you get to that point quicker because everybody knows why they're there or the level of athlete you're dealing with, or is that something you guys would spend a lot of time planning and kind of implementing, but try and get it in very quickly? We definitely hope that it, um, you know, everybody realizes that they're, that they're there for the common purpose. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult piece because you've got guys coming in from different environments. You've got guys at different ages, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, to me, it's one of the most important pieces. As I think in the past, um, it hasn't been uh, paid attention to enough, um, you know, a big, a big thing for me is, you know, kind of the love of the jersey. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, we've, we've heard it, many coaches have said this before, you know, you're, 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 it's not your jersey. You know, you, you get to use it on Saturday and then you get to give it back. Um, and I think we need to get back a, a lot more to that um, and, you know, create a lot more pride to what we're doing. Um, I've gotten the impression over, you know, the last kind of 10 years that, you know, certain people have kind of been going through the motions and, you know, at times I definitely put my hand up there as well, where, you know, I was trying to juggle, you know, a family, a professional career in France. And then, you know, I had an amazing opportunity to, to represent my country. Um, and, you know, I definitely felt at, at times that, you know, I was maybe trying to do too much. Um, but, you know, for now, um, We've got a good Canadian crop of coaches coming through. Um, you know, Kingsley and Rob are, are very open uh, to our input. And, you know, that culture piece, I think, is, is vitally important in, in us pushing forward uh, to create, you know, a very strong identity uh, based on, you know, our, our national values. And, um, you know, and that's going to change and mold, uh, you know, different, sorry, mix differently um, you know, as, as guys come in and out of the program, but, you know, looking forward to 2023, I think we've got a really good mix of, uh, you know, younger guys and a little bit more experienced guys. You know, I think the kind of average age would be kind of mid to late twenties. 
and that's, you know, that's, that's perfect. In my opinion, you know, we've got guys that are playing good level in Europe, some guys playing really good level um, in, uh, in MLR and playing together. So if we can create some consistency in, in selection in coaching um, and, you know, really create an exciting environment, um, you know, I think over the next uh, World Cup cycle, we can start to see some positive change in, in terms of results for, uh, for the national team because uh, Lord knows we've been uh, waiting too long for it. How much do you guys think culture impacts your chance of winning? Because I come and go on this massively. I'm like, yeah, you, you definitely need a good culture to get more wins and then actually go, well, you can still win even with a pretty pretty shit culture and we we tend to i guess it's the social media bubble or just the way society works but lots of people lord these fantastic cultures in in you know a variety of sports the all blacks probably the the prominent one but you, you can definitely say at times some of their player actions you go well hold on how how great is their culture but they're still winning so is is it the be all and end all we maybe make it out to be or is it is it something that's that's just important that we've got to keep working on but perhaps um not as not as vital to success if if success is kind of points on the board i think that we we use the term culture so much nowadays ever since that i feel like ever since that legacy book came out uh, about the all blacks it's it's all people want to talk about it is is culture but i i do think when you're I, I like the term whitey was using he was talking about building families and i feel like every conversation we've had on on tonight actually fits together they're all We've talked about gathering people. We've talked about building connections. We've talked about emotional intelligence. And I think any time that you're making a team feel more connected and feel like they care about each other more, you're going to get more out of them. You're going to get more out of them at training. You're going to get uh, a little bit more out of them on the field because they're looking out for each other. So I, I don't know. I guess to answer your question, I, I don't think you need culture to win, but I think you need I think connection and, and a sense of family is going to make you better than you would be without it. Yeah, I think for me, having not really been a part of building a team um, at the at the high performance level, I mean, I mean, to a certain extent, I do that with the uh, with the BP uh, Next Gen Kevin program, but to me, culture is just the, the foundation. You know, it's the building block. It um, Again, the ability to have something grounding, you know, you've gone on a five game win streak. Well, it's important to, to tap into your value, you know, to, to recognize um, why you are where you are. Uh, and when you're in the dump and you've, and you've lost four in a row, then it's something to kind of build you back up. You know, it's something that you can tap into and it's something that uh, you get the team to, uh, define right so that you can hold them accountable to it um, but by no means can get all you need I just think it's something that uh, that can give you a sense of identity and especially in the club game um, the hope is that it gives uh, it gives an opportunity it gives a reason for players to be there you know you build something that they want to be a part of um, not something that they feel uh, obligated to show up to how I guess like last question on this, I'm conscious of your guys' time now, but um how as as kind of coaches involved in in the Canadian pathway, Jamie touched on that kind of national identity piece. How how do you guys see that kind of panning out over the next three, four, five years? Like how in a in a country as big as Canada, 
um, for talent development and, and kind of player progression, how important do you see that identity piece as cascading down potentially from, you know, senior nationals through 20s, 18s, pride, all, all of those kind of programs, east to west coast? Like that's that's a huge challenge. What are your guys' kind of thoughts on on where that goes? Because I, I was fascinated, having done, you know, a little bit in, in player development in the UK, it's a lot of players in a relatively small space. You guys seem to have completely the opposite problem, um, and I, it's just a fascinating question. I think I'm just really interested in in where you kind of see see the positives and see some of the fixes. Um, I think personally, I think I think we have the right people uh, where they need to be. I think anyone who is entering the pride now in that kind of area, they probably grew up watching Phil and, and Jamie play, you know, and and any, I mean, I'm going to say Canadian rugby fan, international rugby fan, just know the pride and passion that, that both of them have. Um, and I think just that identity of how they played, uh, you're walking into the pride knowing that there's an expectation to, to have a similar passion and pride for, for Canadian rugby. And Jamie talked about building a, um, a Canadian rugby identity based on our, the Canadian core value. I think that's something that, um, may have been lacking i'm sure i'm sure we've talked about in previous um coaching circle but it's definitely something that we have now uh within the pride and and that expectation moving forward um so i mean i'm i was pumped to hear when jamie got the job and then even uh when phil left um seattle i was even more excited to have the two of them there and the dialogue between club and country is now becoming um a lot smoother anyway. I'd... Thanks. Thanks for the plug, Whitey. <laughs> um, I, I look at it differently, Phil. Um, uh, and I think that's, in, in my opinion, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's, we've been looking at things in the wrong way over the last, you know, little while here in Canada in that, I don't think it's a top-down trickle. I think it needs to be a grassroots up um, because that's where it all starts. And that's where the values are at the end of the day. Like you say, at the highest level, you guys can be successful with bad, you know, cultures and values. It's all about, you know, putting more points on the board at the end of the day. But if we take those grassroots values which we all have in us because we all came through rugby from our home club or from our home high school or, you know, wherever we started from, I think that's where the love of the Jersey comes from. It comes from where you grew up. It comes from your family. It comes from your home club. It comes from, you know, all those things that you went through to get to that high level. So I'd look at it definitely the other way. Um, in that, you know, that, that culture piece, well, our culture is innate in us from the experiences we had in Canadian rugby. And it's going to vary across the country, you know, like me growing up in Squamish is going to be different to, to Whitey and different to Scott and different to, you know, the boys out in Newfoundland and, you know, and in between. Um, but, you know, I definitely think, you know, that's where it's going to come from. It's got to come from the bottom up in, in a lot of ways. And the culture is obviously a huge piece of that. And, um, you know, that's, uh, at the end of the day, if we, uh, if we get that pipeline going, well, you know, you're going to create more excitement for the Jersey. You're going to get, 
create more excitement, more kids playing rugby. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, cream rises to the top and that will help me in my day to day. And it'll help everybody else as well, because we got more kids playing rugby. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. I, I think, although it, it, it's hugely beneficial that we now have rugby, we have a carrot on our, on our doorstep with, with the pride program, with the Toronto arrows, with the MLR being a viable option in the States. Um, I still think we need to be engaging these kids in a, in a more impactful way earlier on. Like Jamie said, I, I think if there were one thing, if, if I had a, somehow a, a ton of money and I could put, make one change with regards to uh, rugby in Canada, it would, it would all go into impacting coaches at the high school level. It's the first impact the kids are getting uh, in rugby in our country. And, and for a lot of them, it's the only only rugby that they're seeing and I just think that yeah it doesn't matter how good a coaching we're getting at, at the elite level at the academy levels at the provincial levels if the kids aren't getting coaching that is making them want to continue to play rugby and building that base and, and for most of them it's that high school level I think we're not going to see much of a change so focusing on on the coach development at the, the lowest level would be my primary focus. And, and Scott, you know, that's, you talk about having a bunch of money. That's the cheapest way to do it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. If you focus on fun, open rugby and like even kids at like a young age, doesn't matter if they're throwing the ball backwards, as long as they're having fun with a rugby yeah. ball, they will always correlate the rugby ball with fun and being out there with their buddies and having fun. And then the rest of it will just take care of itself. And like you say, if the coaches are out there and they're, they're not running into bags for kids that are under 10 or, you know, at, at a certain age, you know, they've got wider spaces, they're practicing core skills, kids are running around playing tag, all the different games, and you make it fun. And then as you go further along, it's continually fun, but you add a little bit more structure here and there so you can understand the different phases of play and, and all the rest of it. Um, I'm, I'm totally on board. You know, you, you push that towards the coaches and, you know, you got these, we've got community development officer. We got a new one with rugby Canada here. So I'll be reaching out to him this week. And hopefully that's one of his big, big pieces because, you know, that's, you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, coaches being trained to better deliver a fun game at certain ages. And then, you know, those core skills and keeping guys inter interested and then connecting them with clubs after that. Well, that's, like I said, that's the grassroots building and growing and that, that just helps everybody across the board. I do wonder if that's something that, you know, COVID has accelerated. You, you actually just the finance. Yes. You need some time as a resource, but, but do you need a lot of money to get really good coach education in place? Like, here's a conversation. I don't know how many thousands of miles are, are between us. I appreciate you three are probably within about 12, 12 miles of each other. But, you know, I, actually, I, I'm, you, I, you just don't. Yes, there's, a, there's an element of this would be great to have been done over a coffee on a field, watching someone deliver and co-deliver and all that type of stuff. So there's an element of that. But I, I do think it's one of those, do we do we find lots of roadblocks or invent lots of roadblocks for, for good coach development when it could be done just so much more effectively and, and just engaging coaches in these types of discussions? And I as I say, I think that's accelerated that. And I would hate 
hate to come out the other side of COVID and and lose this opportunity for coaches to really engage with people, not not just outside of their bubble in their own sport, but in other sports. In you know you know go to the back to your book at the beginning and just just outside of sport in general like how many people are having these regular conversations and then actually doing something really positive with it with some support going back to you know kind of jamie's conversation around mentors and that type of stuff you you just makes you think actually is there is there far more effective ways to to do what has been done previously to a to a certain degree but it's um i don't think there's one solution but i hope that's that's the kind of the direction everyone's heading cool it's almost like this was planned we've come full circle which is great so it makes us sound really really organized when uh yeah <laughs> love it um guys we'll we'll kind of round this one off and finish it up but have you got any other recommendations for content or things that that people should check out um related to what we've discussed or not is there anything you kind of want to nudge people in the direction of that's uh, that's been impactful for you i uh someone just sent me uh i know i think you probably talked about Cody Royal's book on this podcast. You might have by this point. Um, I think a lot of people are reading it, but someone just sent me a blog of his the other day. And um, I, just a really good read of kind of about invasion games in general and, and moving the defenders rather than, than moving the ball to space. And, and I just thought it was, it was pretty cool. So I, I still haven't got a chance to read his book yet, but i um, going to definitely be engaging with that soon. Um, for me, just after uh, kind of getting back involved into training after and even during COVID, um, I'm finding a lot more crossover athlete um, giving rugby a shot. Um, and I think just finding fun ways to connect with with the crossover athlete, you know, um, whether you kind of talk about like a three man weave or a give and go, kind of find common uh, athletic terms that you can apply into rugby to make it a little more applicable for them um, learning a new game. You know, the, the big one is, uh, is Dave, Dave Hadfield. For me, for other coaches, for anybody else that's listening to this, um, he's, uh, he's, he's a legend. Uh, he's one of the best coaches coaches in the, in the world. Um, and, you know, I, I was put on to him by Vern Cotter. Um, was had the, the um, very fortunate, uh, was very fortunate to meet him in, in France years ago. And I've been on uh, Zooms with him over the last, you know, two years, every, every couple of weeks. Um, you know, if, uh, if there's any, anything around what he's doing, uh, you know, just Google him and check him out. Um, cause he's, uh, he's awesome. He's awesome. Fantastic guys. I've loved this. Um, really, really enjoyed being able to reconnect and, uh, and just get your perspectives on, on where things are at. So, uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, I'm going to round up the roundup. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to my guests for their time and contribution to a really great discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. Please subscribe, like, and share. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.